Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Hey, um, good to see you this morning. I know Julie and I were uh, absent last weekend. We just took a little break. It was, uh, you know, as I've been in the ministry almost now, geez, 40 years, I noticed when I was younger, I could take a break for a week and a half, go on vacation and get back in the game. But as I got older, I'm finding myself needing a little bit more breaks along the way. <laughs> and uh, God's doing this crazy stuff. So Julie and I decided to um, go away for a couple of days and just really pray and seek the Lord, and pray for the church, and God, what do you want? And then uh, it was also my mother-in-law's birthday. Bonnie, I know she's here this morning, but it was her birthday, so we celebrated that and, and things. So um, I know I heard Pastor Sean tore it up last weekend. I heard, I watched him. So, uh, you know, it's always an honor, a privilege to know that I, I have a, a bullpen that can bring it. You know what I mean? I have a bullpen that can bring it. So I, I, I can always have confidence in my team that when I leave, Things are going to continue on as God does. Amen. Hey, we're starting a new sermon series on discipleship this morning. So turn to Matthew chapter 28, 16 to 20 this morning as we're going to look at the end of the book of the Gospel of Matthew as we start our sermon series there this morning. Matthew 28, 16 to 20, a mission of discipleship is the title of my sermon this morning as we talk about discipleship for the next couple of weeks. Just felt like as we are praying and I was praying, God just said, let's get back to the, the meats and potatoes of things as we've been on lockdown, as we've been on incarcerated in our homes in some sense, God's bringing us out. And sometimes we need a reminder of what this call with Jesus looks like, what it really truly means to be a follower of Jesus. And so we're gonna journey for that in the next 10 weeks. Guys, before there was Spotify and Pandora and Apple Music, there was albums, eight tracks, cassettes and CDs, right? For your old school, you remember the eight tracks back in the day? You know what I mean? And stuff, well, um, these items, guys, are not the master copies when you have them, right? Uh, they are copies of the, of the master. They are replicas of the master. They look like the master. They sound like the masters, but they are not the master copy. But they are so much like the master, and it's good to have them to listen to. Let me tell you this morning, Jesus is the master. And he wants us as a copy of the master. So when people see Jesus, or people see us, they see Jesus. Listen, we are more than converts. We are Christ followers. We are committed to follow the master in all his ways. We are carbon copies of Christ. For this is the essence of discipleship. Luke, the physician, writes this, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who's perfectly trained will be like his teacher. I think that's the essence of discipleship as we start this new series of discipleship or a life of discipleship. And my prayer for this series is that we understand what a disciple is and what a disciple looks like. You see, every, you see, every believer, every disciple is a believer, but not every believer is a disciple. I want you to hear this again. You see, every disciple is a believer, but not every believer is a disciple. So my ultimate goal is that you will have a, a deeper desire for God. 
for true discipleship in a love. True discipleship is a love relationship with God. Nothing more or nothing less. And those who love God will find themselves committed to the commission to make disciples. I'm reading out of Matthew, the 28th chapter. We know it is the Great Commission. We're going to study that this morning, starting at verse 16 all the way through the end of the chapter. I know there's a blessing in the reading of the word as we read it. Let's read it this morning. It says, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when he saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We pray as we study your word. Father, as we hear your word, as we listen to your word, Lord, we pray this morning you would speak through your word that you would teach us this morning. Now, Father, we won't just be hearers of your words, but we'll also be doers of your word. And so, Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would be the teacher this morning. Father, instruct us in your ways. Bring revelation and understanding to what it means to follow you, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. I pray the prayer of Ezra that, Father, may you make my words plain that they would understand it plainly the instructions of your word. And may you write it on our hearts and on our foreheads and our memories and in within us. And that, Father, in all of that, you'll be glorified. In Jesus' name, and everybody said? Amen. We're going to look at three things this morning as it relates to a mission of discipleship. Here's the first thing, guys. A disciple is a co-missionary with Christ. A disciple is a co-missionary with with Christ. We see that in Matthew 28, 16, and 17. For you guys that are football players, you've been, I hope, I don't know if you've been watching that there's been an NFL draft going on right now in the last week. And what happened is there's, these teams are selecting these, these new members to be a part of, of their team. They're drafting them. And, and when those rookies come in to camp, they have to learn the, the plays. They have to learn the formats. They have to learn the schemes. They have to learn their offensive positions. They have to learn their defensive positions. They have to learn formations and they begin to develop develop their gifting as as rookies but in that season their first year they're going to be trained they're going to be discipled in in those specific areas that they've been drafted for they're going to be equipped for the work and the things that they're called to do for that specific team and each of these teams is building their their roster is what they're doing hoping to fill in those spots where they may be deficient in let me tell you this morning Jesus built his roster too. He recruited and had his own personal draft when he begins to talk about the 11 disciples here and he begins to portray them. We know that he's going to commission them as we see the great commission in Matthew chapter 28. Look at verses 16 and 17. It says this, then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when he saw him, they, they worshiped him and some doubted. We see Jesus having a, a public appearance here on this, on this mountain, right? As we see, this is the end, or end of the gospel of Matthew. As, as God, Matthew's been writing this gospel, he's been writing this narrative. This is the end of it, right? And he's, he's kind of been building a crescendo. He's been speaking and telling the life of Jesus through a Jewish perspective. And he's coming. And then he, what does he do? He drops a bomb on the disciples, right, about the Great Commission. And then he mic drops the, the message and he heads up into heaven. 
Can you imagine the picture of that? Here, let me give you a mission, and I'll see you later, because in a minute, in 10 days, I'm going to empower you for this mission, but I'm going to just mic drop it right now. That's, that's what you see in the picture as they're up in this mountain. It had, been, it had been 40 days that Jesus had been with the people after his resurrection. We know he had already appeared to the disciples in rooms. We, we know he had already appeared to some women. We know he had already appeared for over 500 people. We read that in, in scriptures. We find him at this mountain in Galilee. Some believe this mountain is the same mountain that Jesus was transfigured in with Peter, James, and John, with Moses and Elijah. And that was there that Jesus said, Peter, James, John, say nothing about this. This is just for you. But now he's showing his glorified body to all at this mountain, to the 11. Some believe there might be more than 11 there on this mountain. But I know he's specifically going to be commissioning the 11 here. The 11 disciples, as it mentions in verse 16. We know that he invested in these 11. There were 12 minus one, right? There's one that fell short in the call. We know his name was Judas. And in his regret, he hung himself instead of his repentance. And there's a difference between regret and repentance. He couldn't handle selling Jesus out. And so he fell short. It describes these leaven as disciples. What is a disciple and what does that mean? We've heard this word in the church. We, we've heard it, oh yeah, we, we want to make disciples. We promote that. We want to we be a disciple-making church. We want to be a multiplying church. And what is that? It's the Greek word that means student or pupil or learner, an apprentice. A disciple is one who is always learning, right? We see Jesus here in the Gospels. He models discipleship in what he does, right? And he begins to select these men to come follow him. And he selects people because he, they have to be people, the disciples that want to be students. They have to be teachable and they have to be moldable. But I think when you look at the 12 that he selected or the 11 that he selected here, he had to really form with them, right? He, he didn't pick the cream of the crop, all right? In, in fact, in that culture, the disciples selected the rabbi, but Jesus selected the disciple. He reversed it. The, 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 the disciples were trying to look for the best, but Jesus went and didn't get the best. He didn't get the, the cream of, of the crop. He selected the outcasts and the, the least of the societies, the misfits, the misguided to disciple and, and train them. Thank you, Jesus. A lot of misfits and misguided here that came to know Jesus that he's raising up. Right? These, these guys were blue-collar workers. They were fishermen. They were activists. They were, they were government employees. That was their background. But yet there were guys that just didn't cut the mustard in some sense. They were dropouts, troublemakers, class counts, and had no formal education. Amen. They were the guys with the GEDs and the ADDs. <laughs> Listen, look at his roster. Look at who he recruited. Look at who he drew in to be on his team. You had Peter, who was an impulsive, headstrong, arrogant, prideful at times, right? Changed his name from Simon to Peter. And oftentimes when he didn't get it right, Jesus would call him Simon. And when he got it right, he called him Peter. Have you ever had that with your mom when you didn't get it right? I'm Peter Anthony, and they just call me Peter when things are good, but I get in trouble Peter Anthony. You know what I mean? And he had moments with that with Peter, with Jesus, when he was training him. You, you think of James and John, the 
two brothers. They're called the sons of thunder. They're called sons of thunder for a reason, for when Jesus went to Samaria to preach the gospel, the people didn't receive him. What was their thing? Hey, look, can, Jesus, can we just bring fire down from heaven and just make these people crispy critters? <laughs> and they had, a, they, had a, they had an anger problem, a temper problem. We know that James would let her be persecuted and killed for his faith, and John would be the, the one Jesus loved, the beloved, who would later be transformed and be the one who wrote more about love than any one of these guys. That's the transformation of God. But they had rough beginnings, right? Matthew, the tax collector, for those men watching The Chosen, that show. Matthew, the tax collector, who was the Benedict Arnold of the Jews, who sided with the Roman government to take up money and made money off his own people. A tax collector would have been like the thug of the day. He would have been part of the, the godfather. Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, would have been the godfather. And then Matthew would have been working under Zacchaeus, possibly. I think of Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot was a, a dagger man. He, he was a zealous man. He, he was a terrorist for, for the Roman government. He hated the Roman government. He was the activist. He was the one that wanted to destroy the government. He actually carried a dagger in his parents. So he probably most likely would have hated Matthew. They would have been at odds politically and, and, and theologically and ideology. They would, have, they would have had differences, but Jesus said, um, you're going to be on my team too. <laughs> Thomas, the doubter, we know Thomas, when Jesus first appeared, right? He first appeared to him and Thomas wasn't there. And the disciples tell Thomas, hey, Thomas, Jesus is alive. Oh, man, don't be messing with my head. <laughs> right, don't be, don't, be, don't be doing that. I won't believe until I see it. Jesus appears to him, shows him his hand. What is Jesus' famous words with that? Blessed Thomas, you believe because you see, but blessed are those who believe I haven't seen. Amen. Right? Philip, he's the accountant, right? He's the one that when Jesus came to feed the 5,000, hey, Phil, man, where can we get some food at? Where can we get some place? Because that was the same region that Philip lived in, and he, he, would have been, he was hoping to get the homie hook up with Jesus in the neighborhood. And Philip says, man, we don't have enough. Man, it take a year's wages to make this happen. He's sitting there calculating. He would have been the, the David Powell, the budget guy. <laughs> Pastor Pete, I know you want to do this, but I don't know if we have the money. You know what I mean? And stuff, you know, he was the accountant. Like, you know, he was calculating. When Jesus had a vision, he was calculating. What is it going to cost to make this vision happen? I know I'm, I'm the visionary, right? And some of the guys saying, I don't know. You know what I mean? And there are more. You had Nathaniel. You had all these guys who were part of his team. But God will empower them by his spirit to be his ambassadors for the kingdom. He will begin to train them and work out a new nature that took on the character and the conduct of their father named Jesus. This was his team. This is who he recruited, right? But even in the midst of this recruitment, even after three and a half years of journeying with them, we still, we still see their humanness. We see, still see their struggle, just like we have struggle, right? And you see that in verse 17, right? Because when Jesus appeared and came to the, the, the mountain there, which he told them, after he resurrected, meet me on the mountain. He told him where he was going to be and told him, meet me there in Galilee. And so they're meeting there. They're having a powwow there up on the mountain. But when Jesus appeared, guess what happened? He says, some worship and some doubted. Mm -hmm. mm. You, know, you could be around the things of Jesus for a long time and still have doubts. Absolutely. We see it here, right? The word worshiped him means they, they, some, they showed reverence to him, right? Disciples were, were, are called to worship him because he's our, our Lord and our Savior. That's who he is. And worship is to, to give somebody honor, to value him, to idolize them. The great commandment out of Exodus was to don't worship any other God but me. That was the first commandment of the Decalogue, of, of the Ten Commandments. 
And they can imagine, I think, that they saw Jesus and maybe some went to their knees, some worshiped, they were thanking God. But then it says some doubted. You know, disciples do at times have moments of doubt. We have those moments, okay? It says some doubted, it said that they maybe could have been more than the 11 present. The word doubt means they maybe wavered in their faith, not sure about things. They maybe were, became double-minded. Think about it. Jesus just resurrected, you know, and he has a new body. And, and they're probably thinking, is, is, this, is this like legit? Is that really Jesus? Or maybe they're playing back the last 40 days of what just transpired when they abandoned him in the garden. Or Peter said, I denied him three times, right? He goes, man, is he going to receive me? I think there's a lot of that happening there. Thomas playing back his own unbelief. But let me tell you this. Their doubt didn't hinder them in meeting him in Galilee and prevent this worship. Don't let your doubt hinder you. Don't let your unbelief hinder you to come worship God. God will meet you and even in your doubting, just come and worship him. And he will meet you there. We're co-missionaries. God's calling this team to co. Jesus could have did it on his own. He could have transformed, but he didn't. He, he built this team up and gave this mission and says, we're going to co-labor together. We're going to serve together. Not that God needed us. It's actually, we needed a purpose. We needed a call. We needed something to give us direction. God knows more about what we need than we think we know what we need. And that was very significant to give us this purpose and mission. That's the same thing we did early in the garden when he gave Adam a, a mission and a purpose. Now he's given the church and his disciples a mission and a purpose. But the second thing is this. A disciple has a mission of multiplication. We see that in Matthew 28, 18, and 19. Guys, have you ever played tag? There's three types of tag, right? There's regular tag, there's multiplying tag, and there's freeze tag. Regular tag is this. You go, you tag somebody... They're it, right? You're free from the responsibility. You run away. Now they're it. And they're trying to tag somebody to get free of the responsibility. There's multiplication tag. What's that? If I tag you, now you're part of my team. You go tag people. now, And we keep multiplying ourselves to go tag and touch other people. And then there's freeze tag, right? Once you tag, they're frozen. They can't do anything. You go and you're trying to freeze everybody. Let me tell you what's going on. We got away from multiplication tag and started putting regular tag and freeze tag in the church. God's calling us to be multipliers, to, to go out and touch somebody with the gospel. Go out and begin to touch somebody that they would begin to multiply the gospel, multiply disciples. See, Matthew 28 is a multiplication mission for God's people. We call it the great commandments. Like the multiplication tag, we are to touch somebody with the gospel and they become disciples or followers of Christ. And they are to join together to touch other people's People want to be touched. We've been so isolated and distant and six feet apart. Nobody wants, you're afraid to be touched. It was in a touching that Jesus healed people. It was when they had leprosy, he touched them, right? He even spit on people's face. He even loogied it up and got somebody to see. Right? He still touched them. Different way, but he touched them. But I was blind, but now I see. God met us in different ways. He touched us to bring us to to understand and see who Jesus really is. We need to touch people today. I don't know if you know it, but the seats are a little closer today than they were a week ago. Come on now. It's time, it's time that we start reaching out and touch some Bibbity. Listen, 
In Matthew 18, we see that this is not a suggestion or request, but it's a command. But some of us taking it like a suggestion. It says this, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. First of all, this mission was given with authority. We see that in verse 18. That means empowerment. God, Jesus had the power to give this authority. All right? This is Christ's authority. You see Christ's deity, the second person of the Trinity, and he has spoken with authority, and he has authority to, to give, given to him by the Father. Remember, they questioned Jesus. By what authority do you speak these things? Because he had such power and authority when they tested him. Listen, we know that authority was given to Adam in the garden. But at the fall, Adam gave up that authority and Satan, Satan took that authority. But when Jesus died, he was buried and he went back to the grave. He went back to the depths and he took back that authority. And he rose back up again and now he's giving that authority to us. By him, we have authority. Authority is powerful. Even the centurion knew the authority. Remember when the centurion came to Jesus? He said, I want my servant healed and will you come? And Jesus said, I'll go to your house. He said, no, no, you're a man of authority. And I'm a man of authority. When I tell my servants to go do this, they go do that. And you are the same way. You only have to say the word and your servant will be healed. And he said, it. it's done. You have great faith. Your servant is healed because he had authority. Guys, God's given us that authority with this mission that he's going to give us. He's given us power. We see that authority found in Acts 1.8, right? So for 40 days, he's here. He's going to go. He tells them to wait in an upper room. 10 days of praying. Guys, we need to be praying, right? We are praying, church. 10 days of praying led to one day of preaching. But the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to give you power by the Holy Spirit to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts. Witnesses, my martyrs, to lay down your life. I'm empowering you to be witnesses and disciples to go do this great commission. That's the authority I'm giving you. So what is this mission? What is this mission he's given us? First of all, it's a mission to go. Call that evangelism. He's empowered us first, but it's a, a mission to go. That's evangelism, that we're going to go touch someone. It says, as you go, as you're on mission, as you have a mind of mission, as you're walking, the Greek says, as you are going, it's a continual thing that we do. As you go, you're teaching and preaching the gospel. Let me tell you, we know what the, we've heard the gospel. The word gospel means what? Good news. Simply put, the gospel is that we were separated from God, but then God died and was buried, rose again for the forgiveness of sin, right? The gospel is basically what Jesus did for us for what we couldn't do for ourselves. His work, not our work. That's, that's the gospel. The gospel means good news, in that time and culture, there were kings, and when they had went to war and they had victories, they would send out their gospel carriers to announce that victory that they had won and that the people were no longer slaves and had to be fearful. Listen, Jesus is our king. He went to battle and he won, and he sent his gospel carriers us to go tell people about what he's done and that God can now set people free. We're gospel carriers. Why? 
Let me see. This is why, because the gospel has power. And a disciple is not ashamed of the gospel. For Romans 1, 6, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. Listen, nothing else in scriptures except Christ himself is referred to directly as the power of God. In fact, stars can streak through the heavens at 1.5 million miles per hour. Volcanoes can spew up lava up to 17 miles into the sky and erupt. And the eruption can be heard for 3,000 miles away. One DNA strand, invisible to the human eye, contain enough information to fill 1,500-page books. And none of these things are called the power of God. You see, the message of the gospel has power. You see, when you come to understand God's love and grace and mercy and passion for you that he demonstrated through a sacrifice, you will be delivered from your sin and released to freedom in Christ and a new desire for him will be developed. The gospel is a power by which you can establish this transformational relationship with God and that's why people are willing to lay down their lives for it. But where do we begin to be disciples? Jesus invited with two words, follow me, follow me. The first step to disciple is to heed the call to follow him, right? Peter, James, and John, Peter's on a boat, thinks he knows it all, has been fishing all night, Luke chapter five, right? Caught nothing, comes out, Jesus says, catch your needs to the deep end. Oh man, Jesus, I've been fishing all night. I've been doing the graveyard shift tired you know you're you're a rabbi i'm a fisherman what you talking about (laughs) cast the net he casts the net and they catch a whole load of fish so much that it almost sinks his boat and james and john have to come in they get the residue of the blessing of peter let me tell you something when you're walking as a disciple your friends people are going to get the residue of your blessing they're going to they're going to understand some kingdom things because of you walking with god they got blessed and then once peter realized once Peter had experience with this Guess what? He fell to his knees before Jesus. Oh, wretched man that I am. And then Jesus said, come follow me. Discipleship starts with come follow me. He did the same thing with Matthew at the booth. Benedict Arnold Matthew, come follow me. He did. The rich young ruler said, what must I do to enter the kingdom of God? Sell all you have and come follow me. He had too much money, couldn't do it. A lot of people give a lot of excuses why they can't come follow Jesus. Oh, I got some property I bought. I got to go check it out. Right. Oh, I got I to go bury my dad, which means he wasn't really dead. He's got to go take care of the family because I can't follow you right now because I got to take care of the family. What are all the excuses we hear when Jesus invites you to come follow him? What are the excuses we hear? Those excuses won't be received when you stand in the presence of God. Jesus is calling us now. This is the age of grace. This is the time we come follow Jesus, but he will receive you just as you are, but will change you to be more like him. Okay. See, some have taken the name of Christ, but are not followers. He says, I'm going to, listen, when you become followers now, like he told Peter, he's telling us, I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm going to make you fishers of men. Right. Ephesians 2 says what? We're saved by grace through faith, but then he's created us for good works. What's that good works? That works is to serve him and honor him and be disciples and, and, Proclaim him, right? That we become co-missionaries with Christ. In fact, he's calling people. He's calling people. The word, the word call in 
is the same word for vocation. If you look it up in the dictionary and you look up the word vocation, it means a call by God to preach the gospel. See, what, 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 what he's saying here is, I'm going to touch every place in this world, every realm, every sphere, sphere with, with, with what you do in this world. And your platform, the gifting that God's give you, where you're working, was given to you for the purpose to be light and darkness in that area, to being the gospel in those places. You may not have this pulpit, but your pulpit might be behind a desk at a high school. Listen, your pulpit might be behind a, a desk at some social agency that you're serving. Your pulpit might be at Costco being a, a cashier. Your cashier, that might be your pulpit right now. That's your pulpit because that's salt and light. That's what we're called to do. See, we cannot bury the gifting that God has given us because if we bury it, guess what? Don't bury your talents. I, if you're faithful little, I'm going to make you faithful with much. But those who bear the gifting, the call that I've given them and the gifting I've given them, don't misuse your gifting. Don't misuse, don't misuse your call. Don't take advantage of what God's given you. Because you're going to be held accountable to the gifting and the blessings I've given you. Because I called you to come follow me. And I called you to make your, you, me a fishers of men. See, that's how we're going to touch this world. That's the life of a disciple. That's what we're called to do. And a mission, here's the thing. We're called to a mission to make disciples, to multiplication. Disciples are made, not birthed, right? The disciples are made. The disciples have a walk. He's already called us to follow him. Now he's called us to walk with him. If you study the whole book of Ephesians, the first three chapters is doctrine. The last three chapters is application. They will walk, to walk in light, love, and wisdom. Jesus walked with the disciples when he trained them. Remember those knuckleheads are walking on the store and they're talking about Jesus walking and they're walking and what the disciples behind them, they're fighting, they're fighting about who's the greatest in the kingdom. And they don't think Jesus is listening. And he turns around and says, what you guys talking about? And they're like, ooh. They got busted, right? Jesus said the greatest in the kingdom is a servant. I love this about Jesus because he used every moment of his teaching as he went. When I was in youth ministry, I was in youth ministry. Brent knows this ministry for 25 years before I was doing senior pastors, the lead pastor stuff. And the greatest time for ministry wasn't when we had youth group and teaching. That was the greatest time for ministry. Though it was important, it wasn't the greatest. The greatest time of teaching and discipling was when we had to take kids home in the car for two hours and driving around the neighborhood talking about their families and talking about what's going on in their lives and saying, this is what Jesus says about these things. That's how Jesus discipled. Look, I'm not here to disciple you into a program. I'm not here to disciple you into small groups. I'm not here to disciple you even into the church. I'm not here to disciple you into CR. I'm not here to disciple you anything because that's not what discipleship is. See, God didn't anoint programs. He anointed people. I want you to hear that. God didn't anoint programs. He anointed people. And he raised them and transformed them with those very things here. And sometimes we think, now, we, don't get me wrong, God uses programs, don't we have Awana programs, we have things that are going on, we have things here. I'm not saying that, but sometimes we, we might want you, oh, we need you to come to church. Yeah, I want you to come to church because you're going to grow. But just because you come to church doesn't necessarily make you a disciple. Right. Just like going to McDonald's, don't make you a Big Mac. <laughs> Listen, it's a way of living. It's like breathing. Do you think about breathing? No. 
You just breathe. It happens. That's what a disciple, his life is just living out for Jesus every single moment of the days. When the people saw the disciples in Acts chapter 4, they said this. Now, when we saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, untrained men, they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. Oh, I love that. Acts 4, 3, write that down. They had been, they realized that they had been with Jesus. A disciple loves to be with Jesus. They're known for being with Jesus. Disciple making is a multiplying mission and they were followers commanded to make more followers. We see that in Paul's writing to 2 Timothy 2, 2, to pass on things to faithful men that they would pass on to faithful men that they would pass on to faithful men. Yes, we want to multiply, but the multiplication is happening by relationships because disciples are lovers of God, right? Discipleship is based on love, because we have been given a great commandment to love God and love others. Not just in word, but in deed, because faith without works is dead. Amen. Listen, we're teaching because I want to teach you how to be a disciple, teach you about discipleship. But we also want to train you in discipleship and show you how to be a disciple. But Jesus always taught when he walked. Because he said, follow me and I'll show you the way. <laughs> right? But who did he say to go disciple? Go disciple all nations. All nations, right? The book of Matthew was predominantly written to a Jewish audience. Now, God's starting to move out of Jerusalem. He's starting to broaden his horizon. The gospel is for all Discipleship is for all nations, ethnos, all ethnic groups, all ethnic groups. He's already breaking down the dividing walls with the gospel. For there's no place for segregation or racism in God's church or kingdom. Hallelujah! Preach and teach. Which we have churches that segregate. That's what I love about New Vision, man. Look at the beautiful people in this room. God's broken down the dividing walls because we're one family. Right? We're one nation under God. That's the work of the Spirit. That's the work of God. Because God is open to the gospel to whomever should believe, for God so loved the world. And guess what? Our mission is to be immersed in Him. Our mission is to be immersed. The disciples immersed in Christ. We're engrossed in Christ by how? How? By baptism, right? We're baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It gives us a, a plan of how to baptize. It gives us a process of how to baptize. We do baptism here. We're going to do some this summer. We're going to do, have a baptism service for those who want to be baptized. What does that mean? There's two things about baptism here. Number one, it's identification and proclamation. Number one, identification. Baptism was symbolic of the death, burial, and resurrection. But when you look at baptism as a symbol, what Jesus was going to do, it's, it's a symbol of, in some ways of suffering. Of suffering. Disciples identify with Jesus' suffering. Guys, we're not above the suffering as followers of Jesus. The Bible says we enter the kingdom through tribulation, right? If you look at Hebrews chapter 11, the faith chapter, you always hear like the, you read them, all these men that had great acts of faith and God was with them, but go read a little further down in chapter 11, right? Chapter Verses starting at verse 33, you look at all the blessings of faith, right? It says here, by faith, these people overthrew kingdoms and ruled justice and received 
what God had promised them. They shut the mouth of lions, quenched the flames of fire, escaped the death by the edge of the sword. Their weaknesses turned to strength. They became strong in battle, put whole armors to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from the dead. Man, that's blessing. But here's the words. Here's two words. But others. But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They were placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at. Their, their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained to prison. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. Others were killed with a sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute, oppressed, and mistreated. We don't want to talk about that, do we? When I was away last week, um, one of the brothers here, the Hicks family, wrote me, and they do, they've done ministry in the Middle East, missionaries in the Middle East. They have a heart to go back. We're working with that on that. And they wrote about these three missionary families in India, Pastor Lyle and I went to India two years ago to visit the persecuted church. And we got to preach the gospel to probably 30-something bodies, families, churches in like eight days. And we were meeting from five in the morning to like 10 at night, every just going, going, going because of the radical Hinduism that was going on there. And these three families were under the attack of radical Hindus that put a hit out on these pastors in the northern part of India. And they had to flee from their lives and they're trying to get in. So I was contacting one of our pastor's leaders that we know out there to try to see if we can get a move from the northern to the out of there. They got out, but by the grace they got out and they're safe. But what's happening here is guys, they're identifying with the sufferings of Jesus and willing to lay down their lives and they count their lives their own. A disciple doesn't count their life on their own. But there's also a proclamation to the gospel. You're, you're declaring your allegiance. When you go get baptized, it ain't just a, an act. We think baptism are like circumcision. Oh, if you get circumcised, you're saved, like in the Old Testament. Bat it's just get you dunked. If you get dunked, then you must be saved because you got sung dunked because you, and now you're saved. No, it's just an outward expression of inward conviction and obedience that God's been doing in your life. It's an allegiance to God. It's like putting on a wedding ring at that moment. You're making a covenant commitment to God and you're vocally confessing before men and before others who Jesus is. In fact, you're actually preaching the gospel through the death, burial, and resurrection of the act of baptism. You're proclaiming the gospel to witnesses who are watching. And so there's a personal confection and baptism. There's a personal proclamation to the gospel. It's your first sign of obedience. And you're giving up the old life for the new life. But let me tell you something. That baptism is by men. <laughs> Pastors come and they baptize you by, by, by my own hands. But John said there's another baptism coming. That's by Jesus, by his spirit. Look what it says here. John writes this in Matthew 3.11, which Matthew writes about, Indeed, I baptize you with water into repentance, but he who's coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. There's a power that we get as disciples. If we're going to walk with Jesus and be a disciple, that he gives us power to be a disciple. That's the power of the gospel. See, disciples are immersed in the spirit and bear fruit of the spirit. Guys, as we come closing here this morning, a disciple's mission is to teach and obey his commands. A disciple's mission is to teach and obey his commands. If you get a balloon, there's two ways to keep it up. 
You can blow in it, tie it, and throw it up in the air. Keep hitting it to keep it up. Everybody look up to the ceiling right now. Do you see a balloon there? Yeah. That balloon has been there since March 14th. I told the staff, don't take it down. That balloon has helium. And because it has helium, it could stay up there. Okay. See, I could take a balloon and blow it up and put hot air in it. And I could keep trying to hit it up. And that's my work. Come on, come on. Or I could take helium that has power from within and raise it up. Okay? See, see, I could come and teach and teach you stuff. And I'm hoping that I'm not trying to smack you every Sunday with God's word to go make you do some, something. I'm hoping that the word of God and the spirit of God will keep you up, not the work of men and the work of laboring. That God wants to raise you up higher because by his spirit, not by our works and our labors and all that we're doing here. That's the difference, but that's the difference of love and legalism. See, why? Because God's commands aren't burdensome. And if you love God, you obey his commandments. Look at verse 20. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. There's a teaching. There's a teaching of the commands in verse 20, right? Disciples are immersed in his word. I'm, te- I'm just going to over you around. We're going to get into this as we go on in the next weeks. Immersing is... Is we, the believers are immersed in his word. Therefore, go, we talked about that, going, evangelizing, right, is the multiplication ministry. Teach him is the maturing ministry, the grounding ministry. Teaching means to keep on teaching, to sanctify them with the truth that Jesus prayed in John 17. Husbands, you're commanded to wash your wives with the word, Ephesians chapter 5. That's a teaching of the words. Instructing your kids with the word. That's the the, the role of the parent. That's the washing, the teaching, the instruction, the edification of the building up of disciples. And so a disciple is a student of the word committed to the teachings of Jesus. And we learn that spiritual discipline that keeps us in love with God and connected to the power of God, his word, his teaching. But we're not just here, the teaching. We're to observe the commands or the teachings. We see that in the latter part of verse 20, right? Teaching them to obey the commands. Teaching is the training for obedience to God's commands. Look at the word observe. Teaching to observe. There's two things about that word. It means to keep or to watch. First of all, we're to personally keep his commands. Meaning we're to obey the scriptures. We're to obey his commands. That's what a disciple does. But also we're to model obedience. Obedience. There's people going to watch our obedience. So we're to live it, but other people are also watching it to observe it. Parents, your kids are watching you. They watch you when, when you're raising your hand in church, but you're cussing each other out at home. See, see, they're watching you when you come and you get involved with the church, but then you're being scandalous at work. Now, I, I know I might be stepping on some toes this morning. See, we have to be obedient here as much as we have to be obedient at the home. Because more is caught than taught. But listen, let me tell you something. The goal is not just to impart some knowledge, but to apply knowledge. Because the application of knowledge is what's powerful. It says, teach them the commands of God to observe. Listen, I'm not trying to promote moralism or legalism. Jesus 
called his commands good and he came and he fulfilled the commands. But listen, we're not saved by the law or the commands. Listen, the law of God is like railroad tracks, right? Pointing us to the direction we should good, but those tracks do nothing to power the train. You see, the law in themselves is unable to give power to them, only through God's spirit, gifted, giving up to us through faith. The gospel is the power that drives the train. That's us. The law, the commands are still good in that, I love what J.D. Greer says here in three things here in his book, The Gospel, he says this, the commands enlighten our dark, darkened hearts. The law reveals who we really are, like a mirror, James says. Shows us our darkened hearts. Shows us where we fall short. It rebukes us. It, it challenges us. It corrects us. That's what the law does. It also, the obedience to commit, commanded to limit the damage of sin. If we obey the law, guys, it, it, it limits the mess we can get ourselves into. Some of you think about the decisions you're making. Do you ever think about the decisions you're going to make and think ahead about what the consequences could be for that decision? Some of us are impulsive. We just do whatever we feel at the moment. But we don't think about the consequences of the decisions we're had. Obeying the commands limit the damages if we're following God. My one brother said, if you're busy doing the do's, you ain't got time to do the don'ts. Yeah. <laughs> and lastly, discipling ourselves to practice certain behaviors helps us develop a love for them. Maybe you're struggling with reading the word every day. And maybe you have a hard time doing that. But I want to tell you, the discipline of reading the word will give you a love for the word. Amen. You, might, you may not feel that at the beginning. But keep doing it, and you'll fall in love with God. Yes. Yes, yes. I, I love my wife, and I, I did something special for her. I just wanted her to, I wanted her to affirm her with words. So I took cards. I took 30 cards, and I wrote expressions of different things I love about her. And every day, she gets a card, and she reads it. Aww. The affirmation of words. Listen, God... His word is his affirmation of our love for us. And when we come to understand that love, then we obey his commands. Not because I'm trying to keep hitting the balloon up and working so hard to stay above everything. It says God's love provides us with the motivation for obedience while God's law or command provides the direction for biblical expression of love. Remember our, one of our E4 purpose was to express our love for God and to others. In doing so, here's the promise. I'll be with you. <laughs> I'll be with you. That's verse 20. He's revealing his omnipresence, right? God has not forsaken us. God is Emmanuel, God with us. And he promised that to Moses. He promised that to Joshua. He promised that to the saints. And he's promised that to us. And he has the authority to do it. Yeah. And he ends it with, Amen. Somebody just said amen. He ended it with amen. That means so be it. So be it. His presence is our power to bring revelation. J.D. Greer wrote this. Doctrine helps describe the God we must see. Application helps us see how to love God we have seen. But both are useless if the eyes of the heart have not been opened to see and savor the beauty of God. My prayer is this for you in Job, found in Job 13.1. Behold, my eyes have seen all this, and my ears have heard and understood it. As we close, the whole message is summed up this way. A disciple is to go, to baptize, and to teach others how to follow Christ in obedience. One, a disciple 
is a co-missionary with Christ. Number two, a disciple has a mission of multiplication. And lastly, a disciple's mission is to teach and obey his commands. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We thank you for your love and your blessings. We thank you for your goodness and mercy and grace, Lord. And Father, I pray that our hearts and our minds were challenged this morning as we look at your word and what you've commanded us to do, Lord, what you've commanded us in your word. Father, there's life in your word and we get to choose death or life. Death or life. Life is found in you. You say in 1 John, he who has the son has life. And he who does not have the son does not have life. If you're here this morning and you're visiting us, thank you for coming. If you're here, been with us, man, it's great to see your face. I haven't seen yours in a while. But maybe you're here this morning and you've never put your trust in Jesus, your faith in him. If that is you here this morning, I just want to pray with you this morning. If that is something you want to pray and you say, you know, I don't have that son in me. Or maybe this person say, you know what? I realize that I'm not a disciple. I'm not a follower of Jesus. I've been converted, but I haven't been committed. And God's calling to that commitment to discipleship. If that is, just raise your hand so I can pray for you this morning. I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you. Let's pray. Father, I pray for those right now that are just lifting up their hands, Lord. Father, something struck them in their hearts. Something spoke to them this morning. Father, whether they stand before me or they stand before you, it doesn't matter because the work of the Spirit is wherever we're at. And you're present here this morning. We thank you that, God, you keep speaking as we go. You're still speaking and you're still multiplying. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.